Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast. Join Corbin and Alan, along with guest hosts, as they bring their love for the cinema to discuss films from every genre and decade. Learn about the history of the film, little-known facts, and insightful explorations while they enjoy discussing your favorite film. The curtain is rising and your podcast is starting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your guide to the silver screen. Welcome back, listeners, to the second installment in our anime review series. Today we are reviewing Elong the Wolf Brigade, which is a remake of Jinro the Wolf Brigade, and we did that review last week. This is your co-host, Corbin. I'm Alan. So if you haven't seen Jinro the Wolf Brigade, then I do recommend listening to that podcast first or at least seeing that movie first because we will be talking spoilers for both movies. This is a remake. They're very closely tied together, shockingly. So I didn't realize it until, well, until I watched it and I realized, right. oh, well, this is kind of exactly the same. Right. Except <laughs> we'll talk about some of the differences, though. Uh, but Alan, this, uh, this one's a pretty recent uh, release, isn't it? Yeah, it, on Netflix it was really well on IMDb. I think on Netflix it was released in 2018. Um, I honestly didn't even know that it had that it was a thing until you brought it up when we were doing the schedule and you were talking about how there was a remake to Jin Ro. Um, now, of course, this the title is a little bit different. It's called Elong the Wolf Brigade instead of Jin Ro the Wolf Brigade, but still, it is pretty much a, it is a remake of the original anime. So, yeah, this one's relatively recent um, as a, uh, I guess, a release compared to uh, its original counterpart, which has been, it's been about, oh, about 20 years now since it was first released or so. Yeah, that is kind of odd. The, as far as I know, the Jin, the Wolf Brigade type property, the Mamoru Oshi manga Panzer Cop hasn't been touched in ever since it ended with Jinro the Wolf Brigade. So it kind of it seemed out of nowhere to me when I was scrolling through Netflix a few months ago and I see this movie called The Wolf Brigade and I said, wait a minute, there's an anime that's been also floating around on the streaming services of the same name. What's going on here? So I found out that it is a live action remake, which is kind of ironic, actually, because originally uh, Mamoru Oshii, who did the original trilogy of films, who wrote the third film we just reviewed last week, he wanted to originally make uh, Jinro live action. So it's kind of cool that they just decided to make this live action instead of doing like maybe some CGI animation. So when this movie came out, Mamoru Oshii was shown this movie. He was able to, to attend a pretty special screening of it. And he says, and I quote, I think this is a powerful, powerful movie that provokes lots of thought. The balance between the realistic locations and the futuristic technologies like iron armor and diverse guns was very impressive. So this is not the first time that Mamoru Oshii has commented on his work. And actually, it's not the first time that his work has been remade. We noted in uh, 2016, 2017, there was a remake of Ghost in the Show with Scarlett Johansson. And he said somewhat of the same thing. He was actually kind of pretty positive towards the, uh, I guess, final product of the remake of his own uh, original property with that movie, at least. Yeah, we did review that movie as well. So if you want to know more of our thoughts on the Ghost in the Shell remake, check out that review. And it's interesting because when you were saying that, 
That's exactly what I was thinking. I thought, where have I heard this before? Oh, wait. Mm -hmm. He basically said the same thing when he was on the set of the American remake of Ghost in the Shell. Right. He's pretty easygoing, surprisingly, when it comes to his work. He doesn't really seem to get too flustered if they change things around. He's like, it's they're going to do their own vision of it. I'm going to be interested to see what they do. So in a way, that's cool. I'm glad he's not like a jerk about it. Yeah. So, oh, she's okay with it, but what could you find with critic scores? Because this movie wasn't like really widely released. As far as I know, it never came to theaters here in the U.S. I think it just went straight yeah. to streaming. It probably was more so uh, in Korean theaters would be my guess since this is a Korean film. But right. I'm curious to know their critics reaction to it. Right. So you are correct. Uh, this movie did play pretty much primarily in Korean theaters before it was put on Netflix, I, I want to say. Um, so the ratings for it aren't exactly... Uh, they're kind of hard to say what definitively critics think of it because we have an IMDb score of a straight 6.0, but it should be stated that that's only with about 3,000 ratings. So it's... A relatively solid score, but I would kind of take it more with a grain of salt because I would say that there aren't enough reviews or people rating the film for it to be, I guess, more concrete. There is no meta score. Um, there, I guess, just either weren't enough ratings for it or it's just one that the critics for Metascore didn't pay attention to. The Rotten Tomatoes score, however, it, I think paints this in a better light when I mean when I say that it's kind of hard to pinpoint what exactly the consensus is. While it has a 25% on Rotten Tomatoes, that's Whoa. only from eight critics. So it sounds like, uh, what, two critics maybe um, actually gave it, agree? yeah, two critics gave it a fresh score, but the rest of them gave it a rotten score. But again, that's only eight critics. I believe uh, Jinro had closer to 30. And then the audience score for it is a 40% with 62 user ratings. So... There are just aren't enough ratings for me to say definitively, you know, what people think about it. But from what I'm seeing here, it's not very high. Uh, and just so we can state it, letterbox score of 2.7. So from what ratings there are, they're pretty middle of the road. Yeah, it does seem like the consensus, at least, is when people did rate this film, they gave it a low rating, which yeah. generated an average, a pretty low average score straight across the board. It, yeah, there's really, I mean, I, I, I'm not surprised not a lot of people have rated this film and they don't know about this film. Yeah. Um, and not a lot of critics uh, would rate this film either because, like we said, it came out in Korea, probably to not a lot of fanfare. I, the only way it went international is we watched it through Netflix and... According to Netflix, this is a Netflix film. Right. Which we know that's not like really true. It's just Netflix has like the U.S. mostly distribution rights. Exactly. Exactly. Now, when it came to actual money that it grossed, um, it had a budget of $17 million, which is, I guess, is kind of low compared to what a, a movie, if this were made here in Hollywood... That's going to be that I would consider that to be very low um, for the property that we have. But maybe in Korea, it's a bit different. Um, 
but 17 million for a budget. Whoa. It was, it garnered in, uh, after five days of its release, it garnered in about $5.2 million. It's, that's in, both of these are in US currency. So not great. And I believe the worldwide total was close to 6.2 million when it was all said and done. So not even half of its budget it made back. Well, I mean, I can understand because, like I said, it seems like this went to streaming most places and you're not right. going to get any. I mean, Netflix clearly had to pay to put it onto their service, um, but you're not going to get a lot of money from that. So I'm really not surprised this wasn't a big draw at the box office. And in some ways, I'm not surprised with that $17 million budget because in many ways, this kind of just already looks like a high level type streaming movie, like yeah. not quite made for TV, but really not quite theatrical material either. Right. And it wasn't shot like in the United States or anything. So I think, I don't know what the movie studios are like over in Korea, but clearly they're working with what they've got. Right. Now this actually was, I think it was, let me check and see if it was distributed by or produced. No, distributed by Warner Bros. Korea. Um, the production company was Lewis Pictures. So, mm -hmm. yeah. to well, be I mean, fair, uh, the money that we that we were just talking about that came in the six point two million in returns um, from the box office, it pretty much only played exclusively in Korean theaters. When it comes to the actual Netflix numbers, those are kind of hard to tell. Uh, they don't exactly publish, you know those kinds of earnings from the movie when it's on Netflix. So that, the money that we have here is pretty much primarily just from its earnings being in the theaters, which is just the U.S. equivalent to what it would be in Korea. So between Jinro and between Elong, Jinro clearly has the higher scores. Not right. a lot of like scores for each film, but Jinro still scored higher than its remake. Exactly. So if you just so happen to come across this movie on Netflix, Alan, you're just scrolling through and you see this movie, you watch the trailer. Does this trailer, after you're done watching it, are you going to click play based upon this trailer? Or are you going to be like, eh, maybe I'll throw it in the watch list? If I have seen the original anime, I would probably stray far, far away from this. Um, <laughs> and, not, and what I mean, when I say that, I mean more along the lines of, I've seen, I, I'm coming in with the foreknowledge of, you know, the Ghost in the Shell remake and a lot of other, like the De or the Death Note remake, you know, where things, anime has been remade before and nine times out of 10, it's not done very well. It might be different given that it is more of a Korean property and not, you know, made from Hollywood or an American property at this point, but given the track record of a remix, live action remix of anime, especially nowadays, I wouldn't be something that I would look into unless I heard from somebody else that it was good. Then maybe I'd check it out. But given this trailer, it doesn't seem too appetizing to me. It seems like a more action-oriented, the story of Jinro, but more like an action movie than the drama that we had before. And when I first saw the trailer a few months ago, I had never seen Jinro. I didn't know a thing about what it was about. So just judging by the trailer, I thought this movie actually looked fairly interesting. It looked like one that I would give a shot to eventually. And by that, I mean, I would put it in my list 
and it would probably sit there forever <laughs> and I would probably never get around to it. Um, like I said, I think the trailer still looks interesting enough for to pique my interest. Um, but Alan does raise a good point. If you're familiar with the original source material of like Jinro, Death Note, Ghost in the Shell, and we've both seen their live action remake American influence counterparts, eh, that gives you cause for concern. That would definitely uh, make me much more cautious of whether or not to watch this movie. Right. Well, listeners, if you haven't seen Along the Wolf Brigade and you don't want the film spoiled for you, go ahead and click pause right now. Go ahead and check out the film and then come back and click play and we'll be ready to talk about it. So here's the thing about this plot summary. Uh, what I'm about to go over is going to be rather surface level because uh, the plot between Jinro from 1999 or 2000 and the remake Elong from 2018, the plots are practically identical. There are a few things different between the two of them. So if you want a more detailed plot summary, you could honestly just go listen to Jinro the previous podcast, and get essentially the exact same story, uh, but more in depth with the groups that are being that are involved with with everything that happens in these stories. Because, like I said, they're practically identical. But here is a kind of summarized version of the story we have. In the year 2029, there is social unrest as North Korea and South Korea are joining together. To deal with this, a new special unit is deployed in very special occasions. An anti-government group called as, called the sect lives in the underground. They start to break the line of the armored police. The special unit is deployed to and finish off the remains of the sect. A little girl in a red cloak is sent to deliver a bag to other sect members, but is cornered by a member of the special unit. She is soon surrounded for more members of the special unit and pulls the string, detonating the package that she was carrying, killing her and trying to kill other special unit members in the process. After this event, some government officials decide to use Im, the member of the special unit um, who didn't pull the trigger on the girl, as bait to remove the special unit from the police force. They blackmail a lady named Lee into, into luring out Im. However, come to find out, Im is also a part of a new resistance within the special unit called the Wolf Brigade. Um, he takes her to the same tunnel the, where the girl blew herself up in, and it is revealed that Lee was also being used to bring the government officials to them so Eam could kill them all. The government, the officials fall right into their trap and Eam kills, kills all of them. The Wolf Brigade then takes Lee back to their super secret hideout to kill her, but Eam shows up to stop them. The leader and Eam fight, ending in a standoff. Eam goes to leave, but a shot rings out. Not so long in the near future, Lee opens up a bank account on her own and hops on a train. She looks out to see Eam standing on the outside as the train pulls away from the station and credits roll. I was a little surprised to see that they did modernize the like the background premise for this movie because it's a little interesting because the first one takes place about 10 years or so after World War II. Yeah. Whereas in reality, this film was like 50 years actually after World War II. This one is using more so modern uh, a political climate to set its backdrop. And I had to watch it, watch this um, opening kind of montage twice just to make sure I understood what was going on. 
Um, I gotta say, it's kind of ridiculous, though, to think that China and Japan are going to have territory disputes. I looked it up. China has over 2 million people in its army. Japan has a little over 200,000. Right. Japan is 10% the size of China's army. So I don't think Japan's going to be going up against, it's like David and Goliath here. But it makes sense that Russia and the U.S. would get involved. Okay, I'm going along with that. But then in order to preserve their livelihood, the Koreas decide to unify as a last resort. That is, I'm going to say it right now, that's ridiculous because their ideologies are so different. South Korea and the U.S. are pretty tight. North Korea has the backing of China. So they're going to, they're just going to have another civil war again. They're not going to unite. I mean, it's an interesting fantasy idea, but this whole basis in reality doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And maybe if they had like gone deeper uh, and kind of explored the reasons as to why they're trying to reunify the Koreas, maybe that would help out, I guess, some of this suspension of disbelief. Because I'm with you. It's an interesting premise to start off with. Uh, you know, the reunification of the North of North and South Korea. But given how, you know, practically opposite their ideologies are, it kind of seems unbelievable in today's age. Um, so I will say this when it came out, when the movie began, we had this opening like monologue telling us the the setting. I was like, OK, I can get on with I can get on board with this. Um, they're kind of modernizing, you know, the story of Jinro that we had before where where it's not necessarily stuck in after World War II, it's still, it's taking a different route. It's taking it more modern, actually taking it into the future this time. So, and the I, the fact that they're using the North and, South Korea, North and South Korea border disputes, like the reunification causing all these issues, I can get behind that. I would like some more explanation, yes, but I think I can get behind the setting that we're setting up, the setting that is given to us here, that reunification of these two countries. So that part, I guess, didn't bother me a whole lot. I had some issues, but it wasn't something that I felt was too big of a deal at the beginning of this movie. I would like to know what the reaction was in the uh, audience for this yeah. movie in South Korea, because I'm sure they would balk at like, are you kidding me? Maybe that led to a lower box office return than they thought. Maybe. I mean, the whole Korean reunification doesn't really play any kind of role in this movie, it seems like. Yeah. Um, and I would say the reason for uh, the sect and everybody kind of going at each other is I found it to be fairly stupid. The reason that the sect is the anti-reunification group is because the United States and Russia and China and Japan all put crippling economic sanctions onto the Korean peninsula, which is just really hurting them. So they're like, forget it. We're going to maintain the status quo. So it kind of makes like the whole world into a bad guy. Yeah. And the Koreas are like, just these like trying to do the right thing, trying to be good people. And the rest of the world is like against them. They really get lost here in this opening premise. It just seems utterly ridiculous to me, but guess what? It doesn't play into the rest of the movie almost at all. Yeah, that's kind of my first biggest uh, negative of the movie is <laughs> this story is wholly unoriginal because it's been done before. Their, their original property is literally this story. The only things that are changed are small, minute details, it feels like. 
outside of the fact the setting is different, where now it's the North Korea is trying to reunify, uh, you have this really weird subplot of Bloody Thursday, I think it's called. No, Bloody, Bloody Friday. Bloody Friday. Um, yeah. Where uh, a few of these special unit members essentially massacre a bunch of uh, high school girls um, under the pretense that they are a part of the sect. Then you've also got the ending, which is a slight difference, where instead of uh, instead of the main character in the story, it would be Eam um, killing uh, the love interest, Lee. Uh, it's a bit different. Now he fights the leader of the Wolf Brigade instead, and Lee ends up living. Um, those are the only things that are different when it comes to story. Everything is literally the exact same when it comes to story beats almost. And it makes the movie feel just kind of pointless to me because I'm not really seeing, you know, the reason why this movie needs to be made. Well, the only thing that gives me hope is right here in the beginning, I think this is going to be a fun, soft serve live action remake where it's kind of, it's going to shed some of the deeper philosophical themes, deeper uh, literary illusions of the first one. And this is just going to be more of a kind of a political thriller. And these two star cross lovers are going to have to find their own way. It's going to be a little bit more uh, romantic and action oriented in that sense. That's the vibe I get in the beginning. I'm not trying to show my hand too soon, but I quick quickly that really drops off. Um, and yeah, like you said, this becomes a, like a, almost a beat by beat remake, except we get this really inconsequential, um, very, very minor subplot where the special unit recruits one of their own members, uh, female members from the sect yeah. to disrupt when, uh, the public security thing is going to happen. And that's, that's the last we see of her. Yep. Uh, that's the last we see of her. And then we just jump straight into kind of a John Wick um, action sequence. Um, so, I mean, that was probably one of the most fun sequences of the movie that I liked was that whole John Wick file uh, fighting scene. And then when they jump out of the tower. Um, but otherwise, yeah, don't expect a lot of emotion when it comes to this one. Yeah. And I think that's why I kind of came out of it as not as enthused about it than maybe when I went into it. Because this is very much the, if we took the action scenes from Jinro and made that the movie, this is kind of what it ended up, this is essentially what it would be. Because this movie is extremely action heavy. Um, it still tries to play in with the more, uh, the deeper sub subtext that we have in the in the original uh, but those also feel that they're kind of out of place as well because it, I, maybe this is more of an identity issue where it doesn't know if it wants to be an action movie or it still kind of wants to try and tell the original story as well um i don't know it but it just feels weird i don't and i'm gonna i gotta say i'm not a fan of the action in this movie i don't really find it to be really all that engaging and that's kind of a big deal because there's a lot of action in this movie, too. I didn't find almost any of the action to be engaging except for, like I said, the whole tower fight and then jumping out of the tower and the ensuing car chase. 
I found that all to be pretty fun. That was probably the highlight of the movie for me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the action really isn't there. And this movie seems to be conflicted on how it wants to portray our characters kind of uh, scarred uh, psychology or psychosis, whatever it's called. Yeah. Because there is the incident of Bloody Friday that clearly really troubles him because he was a part of that. And that took place in 2025. And then four years later, he watches the little girl blow herself up. He's not, um, she, he doesn't seem to be affected by the incident in the tunnels with the girl blowing herself up. Right. Because in the end of the movie, when he's facing off against his commander, he doesn't bring that up. He brings up, why did you order Bloody Friday? We don't get any kind of satisfactory answer whatsoever, it seems like. And so that's one of the things that I was really sad to see is that the emotional crux of this movie is just missing completely. Right. And I think that's kind of where I begin to turn on the movie is the emotional crux, which I, which is very much the most important part of the original anime is, yeah, it's, it's missing here. It's gone. They're going more for an action movie, which is, which they can do, but when the action is not that engaging, um, and it kind of feels like it's here just because we need to have an action scene here to fill time, it makes a lot of these scenes just kind of float by just to get to the next one, just to get to the next one with no real consequence and no real, uh, not really leaving much for the audience to think about when the scene ends. That's kind of where my biggest issue came with it, uh, came when I was watching it, is that, and, and this is also given the context of context of the original anime, I felt like this movie is just kind of weightless. There's not a whole lot of meat here to dive your, to, to sink your teeth into like in the original. We spent a long time talking about all the ins and outs of the story. Whereas in this one, you know, it's it feels like they took pieces from Jinro, but like really wanted to make it an action movie. And so there just isn't enough. There's just not enough there. I I mean, I also feel really betrayed that the movie sets up the whole reunification of North Korea. And you think that this is really going to play into some larger context. Yeah. And it really doesn't. They're really um, everything we see really doesn't have any impact or ramifications seemingly on North Korea reunifying because in the end of the movie, all is right with the world. And you hear a, a news announcer in the background saying that the talks have resumed. And I guess it's because the public security shot themselves in the foot by yep. working with the sect. And the, the sect's whole point was to stop reunification. But it seems like the sect now has restarted reunification, maybe without even realizing they have all just like ruined their whole plans. It doesn't make any sense. Once again, it all plays out in the background and that we're not really given a reason to care. So I was pretty disappointed by that as well. And there, there just uh, really isn't any character moments as well. Like those really um, nice scenes where they go talk at the carnival. And then he yep. has those really horrible nightmarish visions. Um, I was shocked to see how close uh, into the, the runtime, which let's talk about the runtime here in a second. Yeah. Um, her betrayal was going to happen so fast before she had made any kind of an emotional connection with him. So the whole point was uh, she wasn't even going to emotionally connect with him. She's more concerned about saving her brother. Yeah, which 
I don't really know what to think about that because in the original, they caught her because she was a part of the terrorist group, the, the sect. Um, and so this one, they try to give her more emotional weight because uh, they're going to, they're basically blackmailing her um, where if you don't follow us, then your brother is not going to get the treatment that he needs kind of thing, which right. is very cliche. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> And it just doesn't really work because they like it feels like they just really forced that in with her character that her brother is dying uh, and they are willing to help her out if she follows through with the whole thing. So the other things, though, that I will say they do an OK job on, I think the score is pretty good for what it is. Don't think it's as good as the original. Um, I do like that Red Riding Hood isn't brought up every 15 minutes. Yeah. It's pretty much dropped from the story. They bring it up like one time, I think, and they kind of do the whole story there, and then they don't really bring it up again, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you're right, because she takes him to the bookstore. Yeah, that's right. And we get those really cheap-looking, weird um, painted drawings yeah. on the screen of the story of Red Riding Hood. Right. And then it's not really brought up again until because they're too worried about making this a John Wick movie <laughs> until the very end when she starts crying and telling him the story and realizing he's the wolf. By that point, I had completely forgot about Red Riding Hood and yep. the, the wolf. Yep. Um, but I will say at least they don't bring it up so much as the original did. And I'm kind of sad the slice of life stuff is missing, but there is a scene in the cable car that's pretty good where um, it's like a wide shot of the cable car. Then he's looking out and then he looks over at her. Oh, yeah. That's yep, a good that's a good instance of it. And mm -hmm. there's a good shot. Probably the best shot in the movie is a reflection of his red eyes in the water. I'm like, oh, that's actually a pretty good shot there towards yeah. the end. But. Those are my positives. Yeah, mine are, kind of, mine are pretty much the same. This movie does look pretty good, um, all things considered. It's not perfect, but it does look pretty all right. Uh, I've got to say, actually, I guess I'll save the design for the suit for a little bit later because that is a negative. But oh. uh, the design of the catacombs, like the sewers, the design of um, the tower scene, the action scene we're talking about, all this looks pretty good. And I think that's what kept me kind of engaged is, you know, it's not great, but at least it's something, you know, there's something yeah. that, that I can, you can look at and it looks better than I guess what would be the average way of going about it. So that is one of my positives is the movie does look very good. It's got pretty good set design. It's got pretty good cinematography. Um, so that's one of my positives as well. I just, they can't match the design of the anime though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that anime was so gorgeous and those oh, sets yeah. they created were so unique within that world. We just don't get that. I mean, this this movie also looks, because it is set in the future, it looks very similar to a lot of uh, science fiction um, right. movies put in the future we have seen. Oh, you're right. Lately, uh, lots of kind of neons and big bright lights, uh, drone type things. Yep. Yep. I got to say, though, probably one of my biggest criticisms of it, though, has got to be with its characters, because the original is it's kind of half character centric, but it's that main focus of 
Fusei re- struggling with his own humanity. That's kind of the main crux of the story, right? In this one, they I, I don't even, they kind of try to do that, but I think I have a hard time figuring out who exactly the main character is. Because the main character of Eam doesn't say hardly anything for their whole story. And it kind of bounces back and forth between government officials who are part of various groups. And then we bounce back to uh, Eam and Lee hanging out, doing whatever they do. It just feels like we're not focused on a central character to guide us through the story. It's more of the stories taking control of everything. And the characters are here to just fill that void. Yeah, the characters definitely feel more so like pawns being moved around yeah. by both sides, by by these uh, bigger shadowy organizations. These characters are more so puppets. Yeah. I was really disappointed to see that that kind of dark night of the soul is utterly missing from here. And there's really no genuine anguish to be shared between either of these two characters. Yeah. They don't really feel the loss of their choices, kind of the depravity of where they've like sunk into and how they've uh, betrayed each other. All of that is missing. And like we've talked about, this is just more so about driving the action sequences and making this into some kind of crazy uh, anime remake. Uh, I was really disappointed with that. And also... This runtime is way too long. Yeah. Way too long. Almost two hours and 20 minutes is way too long. The original was, as we talked about, closer to an hour and a half minus the credits. This one's closer to a like 215, uh, 210 minus the credits. It's way too long. I And most of that is because it's they pump it so full of action. That's what keeps, that's what runs it out for as long as it does. Yeah, just not also the action, but also they do pad it with some very unnecessary subplots like we talked about with her brother, with the special unit having their own spy. And this movie kind of drove me nuts where they introduced like 10 different characters at once and they put their names up on the screen. Yep. But they're very inconsequential. Like they only maybe had three or three scenes like one or two characters they brought up never even came back. Like, um, yep. for instance, when the chief of public security was getting his haircut and the general or no, no, I think it was the the head of the local police or something. Yeah, he doesn't play uh, yeah. anything in this movie. That scene, they had like three character introductions in that scene, didn't they? Three or four. <laughs> yeah, that's probably yeah. a great example of what you're just talking about. They just kind of like to introduce characters that don't really have a whole lot to do with the plot. Um, They're just kind of there for maybe a scene, maybe two, and then that's really about it. Um, Which is kind of silly because, again, we have that issue with characters in the story where nobody really feels developed in any kind of way. Even our main two leads don't really feel like there's anything to them. Um, It feels like the story is taking control of everything and the characters are just a byproduct of of what's being told. That, and I couldn't believe how many endings this movie goes with. <laughs> yep. I was shocked because I thought this was going to be pretty much a direct play out of the original ending where they're done with the shootout in the tunnels, which that was way longer of a shootout as well. Yeah. It's like half an hour almost. It yeah. Feels like it. Yeah. Because the, he's not called Hinmei in this because he's not J- Japanese, but he gets shot like, 
three times until mm-hmm. he finally dies and he has to just monologue forever. Yeah. And the problem is I never bought um, his relationship with our main character. There was no betrayal really between them. They called it out. They're like, you're betraying your friend. Okay. Yep. <laughs> well, thanks for telling us. Um, but anyways, so we that's the climax of the movie. And then you think he's going to shoot the girl. But no, uh, they're just going to drive away and shoot her at an abandoned building. And I got to say, I did like, although this film looks good, I think a lot of the sets look pretty cheap. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're right. They're I mean, not it's a perfect. very low budget. It is. It is. So then they're, they're not going to shoot her there. He comes back, gives him his choice. He doesn't shoot her. Then him and his commander, I'm like, oh, my gosh, are you going to go for the big budget Hollywood ending where the mentor and mentee fight it out? Yep. You think he's dead, which is a very lame twist. Surprise. He's not dead. She gets her new identity. She gets the happy ending. We never really knew she wanted. I only knew she wanted that because I watched the anime last week. Yeah. And then she goes off with her brother and then they smile. And I'm like, <laughs> what kind of an ending is this? Yeah. I and don't it keeps know. fading to black. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Can we agree the ending is awful compared yeah. to I the mean, last ending? All the emotional weight that should have been there is not. It's is completely missing. And I think yeah. that really pulls away from uh, I guess what could have been done. It really pulls away from that emotional punch that happened with the last with the anime. It was just not here. Well, you know, they try and I don't know. What's the phrase? They try and have their cake and eat it too. Yeah. They yeah, it feels too too perfect of an ending. Yeah. It feels because like there was very little learned at the end of this. Oh, there's nothing learned at yeah. the end of this movie because they want to have their big uh, fight sequence at the end, even though we just had a gigantic long climax. They want to have, they want to bring in the emotion between the two of them. And then they also want to wrap up. The Koreas are going to reunite and they want to wrap up. She's leaving. Uh, she's got a new identity and he's going to be just fine. And they give each other this blank stare, which is yeah. really hard to sit through. I'm like, I feel nothing. Clearly, you guys feel nothing, too. Yep. (laughs) I do want to talk just briefly about the design of the uh, special unit suits. Because in the original anime, the design looks really, really good. Because as I stated, there is like no human skin shown. It makes them feel like they're very distant from their own humanity just by the design of the suit. It's the same design here. The problem is it doesn't look very good. It looks like instead of being made out of iron and metal, it's made out of um, plastic and styrofoam. And it kind of pulls away from the impact that it has because it feels like it it just feels it just looks and feels very cheap. Um, And I understand that the budget is not exactly the highest, but given that the anime is kind of, you know, renowned for the design of the suit. Uh, seeing this kind of pulls away some more from uh, from the anime. I was disappointed. Our introduction to the Wolf Brigade is with their masks off. Yeah. Which uh, immediately humanizes them. And I'm not even talking about with Bloody Friday um, because Bloody Friday is the reason we learned that they began wearing those masks in the first place, which I felt was a totally unnecessary reason yeah um just don't give us a reason just make them wear the masks it looks great it's a great design um but yeah unfortunately 
when they are getting ready to go down into the tunnels, they all have their masks off, which immediately humanizes these characters. Yep. Then they put their masks on. Yeah, I mean, for the budget they had and for live action, I think it looks fine. It doesn't look as good whatsoever. It's not really as menacing or imposing, I would say. Mm-hmm. It looks more so just kind of clunky um, in certain ways. Um, in the beginning, it doesn't look good. Towards the fight at the end, I think uh, it worked pretty well, especially when they were shooting and he was kind of like blocking with his wrist. That kind of gave me more of a sense that it was much more powerful armor. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the design isn't as good. They put a little more design into the the face area as well. Um, yeah, one last thing about that ending fight that I just remembered that I really didn't like was in the anime he was mostly like a terminator just utterly destroying yeah. people no yeah. fear for his life uh, they were shooting grenades at him he didn't show any expression or flinch he like totally shut off his humanity and just went berserk yeah um on them in this movie he's ducking he's dodging he's getting shot with harpoons getting pulled along I did not like that at all. Yeah, it kind of, because in the original anime, the whole point of him kind of being more of a juggernaut is because his humanity is completely lost. He's practically indestructible uh, in that ending. And that's called what makes it so, like, I guess, impactful and in some ways kind of scary is because his, um, his humanity is gone. It's not there anymore. It's not in that moment. And this movie, it, and it kind of wonder makes me wonder if they're even going for, you know, this question or the a story about a man losing his humanity because they don't really do much with it and so when we get to this ending when he when he feels more vulnerable it just pulls away from the emotions that could be there like it was in the anime and i would say this film takes the opposite stance from the last film yeah and he decides to become he, he decides to be a human he decides to leave the wolf pack and live among the humans, but he doesn't get to live with the girl, which kind of makes sense because they never really had any sort of romantic connection anyway. Yeah, I mean, it feels like they tried, but they never really went anywhere. I guess the only thing I got from it is she helped him rediscover that he's not a mindless killer. He doesn't yeah. have to live with the his horrible past of Bloody Friday of uh, murdering those innocent schoolgirls. That there's some humanity left within him because, you know, the final shot is him remembering um, standing outside with her in the snow and then taking a hold of her hand. Yeah. That's a nice ending, but it completely misses the point of the last movie, kind of about the cautionary tale of how uh, external and internal forces can ultimately bring everybody down to their lowest level. Right. This movie is just like all is right with the world, which... Leaves me feeling just very apathetic towards the whole thing. Yeah. And I'm not necessarily opposed to an ending like this where the character finds his humanity. No, I'm not either. But you need to have (laughs) some kind of emotional weight to show the dangers of him losing that and then deciding to go against that and gain his humanity and pull away from what the wolf pack would be. I think that would make it more emotional. And I think that they try in some ways, uh, but it just doesn't come out right. The the execution of that idea is just not really there. Because in the original anime, you get to see him just kind of go into this downward spiral as he's trying to regain his humanity, but by the end of it, he ultimately loses it. 
by maybe factors of his own doing and not of his own doing. Um, and that's what makes it so impactful. Here, they don't really play with any of that. They just kind of like, well, he kind of just regains it at the end and then that's it. It, it feels too perfect. It feels like there wasn't, there aren't very many stakes when it all is said and done. Well, that's because they confusingly missed the opportunity to make the girl that blows herself up in the sewer the crux of his uh, dilemma of conscience, like his crisis of yeah, conscience. Yeah, yeah. They don't even use that whatsoever. Instead, he's still more so focused on Bloody Friday, which was a two-minute flashback scene in the beginning of the movie yep. that's like never brought up again Yep. until the very end. And so this character is not a haunted character. And if he is, they completely forget to show that he is. Yep. Um, and they are trying to show that he shuts his humanity off by letting uh, his chief go and take her to shoot her. But then he is, his conscience comes back and he can't do it. And then you realize him and the chief have to fight. And yeah, it doesn't have much of an impact, unfortunately. Yep. But... Alan, I'm very curious. What is your rating and recommendation for Elong the Wolf Brigade? Elong started off pretty okay, actually, in my eyes. I, I was intrigued by the idea of reunification with the North and South Korea and the social unrest with the US and Russia and Japan and China. That was all rather interesting to me. So I was on board for the first few minutes. But then I began to notice that not only is this basically the exact same story that we had before. But this is pretty much the action-oriented version of the original anime uh, Jinro. This is the action This is the action counterpart to that same story. Uh, pretty much beat for beat, the exact same story, just with some inserted action scenes. And so when it comes to that and I get to the end of this movie, I don't feel satisfied in the slightest. It feels like they wanted to make an action movie so bad that they lost sight to what made the original movie so good. And the action scenes here aren't even that in that aren't, aren't even that engaging in my eyes. I found them to be honestly kind of boring. They're not so they're not super kinetic. So and when we also have pretty serious uh character issues where there there's like no main character here that's being explored. And then you have the story of our main characters trying or main character trying to find his humanity, but being downplayed so much because the action is taking precedence. This doesn't, this is in no way, at least not in my eyes, no way is satisfying. So when I look back on it, I'm going to be honest with you, Corbin, I had a hard time remembering a lot of what we were just talking about because I watched this two days ago and I've for forgotten about most of it because it's just so forgettable in my eyes. So it looks good. It's got some good elements to it, but I wouldn't say it's anything that's worth a recommend from me. So at the end of the day, uh, three out of 10, that's going to be a pretty solid not recommend for me. It's not one that I don't, not one that I would ever return to because the anime in my eyes is right, pretty much the only one that should exist, at least at this point, when it comes to these two movies. Along the Wolf Brigade is a cheap Korean imitation of an incredible Japanese original. What made the original film work so well was the breathtaking animation and contemplative themes of nature versus nurture, moral relativism, along with strong literary illusions. Unfortunately, this film misses mostly all of that, instead of opting for big budget Hollywood style storytelling and action. 
There are some nice action scenes and decent shots, but those just made me wish I was watching a different film that did it better, like John Wick, for instance. Along the Wolf Brigade receives four stars out of ten with a solid not recommend. And I gotta say, it's this is exactly what I didn't want Jinro the remake to be. Because mm. what made that original film so good was its emotional impact. And this one just goes, how about we go for an action movie? <laughs> Which for me is like, that's the exact opposite of a, where I would want a movie to go. I'd rather have more emotion and make me feel things than to be put through action scene after action scene. So I still have to ask, are you going to pick up or pass on this movie? I'm going to pass. I'll pick up the original, the anime, but I'm going to pass on this one. There's no really good reason for me to own it, I think. There's no reason for me to own it or return to it. But if I saw it for a dollar at Dollar Tree, I think I would go ahead and have it just so I could have the remake and original up on my shelf together. Maybe that's kind of like gluttonous and unneeding <laughs> to <laughs> to uh, to buy this movie and, and incorporate it into my collection when I know I'm likely never going to watch it again. But eh, like I said, if it's if I saw it for a dollar and honestly, this is the kind of movie that if I just saw the cover and I didn't really know anything about it, skimmed the back section at Dollar Tree. This is the kind of movie I would take a risk, take a chance on and just pick it up at Dollar Tree. Gotcha. Gotcha. So after you've watched Along the Wolf Brigade and maybe maybe you liked it. I don't know, listeners. You'll have to comment and let us know. But after you watched it, you want to watch something else. So my recommendation actually is to go watch the Ghost in the Shell live action one and do a little compare and contrast. See uh, what you think between um, the Ghost in the Shell anime and its live action one and then this anime and the live action one we just reviewed. Yeah, I'm going to have to go with that same thing. Definitely what I would say for my recommendation, if you are liking these kinds of things, these more live action remakes of popular anime, the Ghost in the Shell remake, I think so far is one of the better remakes that we've had. Not great, but it's one of the better ones. I wouldn't say Death Note. Um, that one's a different story, but definitely Ghost in the Shell. And for another one, I, I mentioned this in the last podcast, Gunslinger Girl, but I think that it kind of fits in here as well because that one has a bit more action to it than uh, the original uh, general anime. You could probably get away with watching uh, Gunslinger Girl um, season one. So that'd be my recommendation. I guess my other recommendation, I already recommended it throughout the podcast, but go ahead and check out the John Wick series. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, they did not make along to <laughs> the Wolf Brigade returns. So we're done with the, the Wolf Brigade movies. So next week we will be reviewing Fritz Lang's 1927 metropolis and i'm very excited because i am getting the complete metropolis and uh there's a couple different versions out there listeners so yep. depending on which version you get your hands on you might be scratching your head as to what we're talking about because there are a number of scenes there's quite a few stuff uh missing 
from some of the uh, older versions of the film that weren't as newly discovered. And then the week after that, we will be checking out its uh, anime counterpart with uh, Rintaro's Metropolis from 2002. Yes, I think I have. I'm trying to see what version I have. I have the one hour and 57 minute version of Metropolis, but I believe that there mm. is a two and a half hour cut that was mm -hmm. released rather recently. I think that's the one that you're getting is the complete uh, the complete Metropolis. I think that one's two and a half hours. And I have heard that if you watch, if you don't watch the full cut, you'll be kind of confused <laughs> on some things. You'll be you'll be able to get the main themes and what's going on, but right. you won't get the full vision. So listeners, if you're able to get your hands on the complete Metropolis, I highly recommend that uh, before next week's review. Um, don't take uh, Gior Giorgio Moradoro's colorized um, new score version as your standard for the movie. I know that one was on Netflix. I think I watched part of it. Um, it's it's weird. If I, I remember, if I remember right, it was weird. I, I'd be curious to see it still just to see what they do with it. So I'll do my best to see how many versions I can watch between now and next week. There's a few. I know there's a handful. <laughs> Here's a handful. We'll see what happens with that. But, Alan, thanks for joining me. Sure thing. All right, listeners, we will see you next week with Fritz Lang's Metropolis. Hey, listeners, it's Corbin. Don't forget to check out the exciting links in the description below that will connect you with more great movie reviews for your listening pleasure and our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter page. And of course, our official website where you can read great articles and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Also, if you want exclusive bonus content such as extra movie reviews, movie commentaries, and our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, plus more, then check out our Patreon page. It's a great way to help keep this show free, and it gives you great content that's yours to keep. All of that and more is found in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe whether you're on YouTube, Apple, Google, or Stitcher, or your favorite podcast service. And while you're at it, please leave us a five-star review so other movie lovers can more easily find our podcast. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. So don't forget to share with your friends and family, and we'll see you next week, listeners. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide. maybe some CGI animation. Right, right, yeah, and what was I gonna say? <laughs> We're tired. Yeah, we've been recording. We recorded Back for like three hours yesterday. <laughs> yeah. It was a mess. Not a lot of sleep.